Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London. A church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Lord, I do thank you for the privilege of knowing Christ and for the privilege of being one body. Although we're separated by time and space, we are bound, united by your Holy Spirit, who is our bond of peace. Thank you, Lord, for bringing our brother into relationship with us and for your work in and through his life. Our prayer is, Lord, that today he will serve as an encouragement and an inspiration to us as we reflect on just how you're working in and through him. May we be sensitive, Lord, to just what you would speak to our own hearts today and also, Lord, as to how we're able to support and encourage him in the fulfillment of your call on his life. Bless our time, Lord. May it truly be edifying. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, um, Jaya, I had the opportunity to meet you um, uh, a couple months back um, whilst out in your hometown and um, just really definitely touched by hearing of your endeavor and um, really blessed to have you with us here. Um, how long have you, have you always grown up in California? Uh, well, I grew up in a place called Nevada. It's like right next to California. Mm. And uh, it's in the mountains, in the woods. Like it's very, it's much smaller than L.A. And so I was growing up there, learning about the Lord, but never really knowing the Lord. And so I, I spent a long time of my life just wondering what it was about. And then when I moved to L.A., and I've lived there for five years now, mm -hmm. and I really got invested into by a bunch of very... Uh, passionate people about the Lord and then eventually it just rubs off on you and eventually you're just pursuing the Lord with everything that you have. Mm. So a total uh, five years in LA and that's where my growth really began to take full full ground mm. and from there it's just all the Lord's story. And you um, are connected with the church right in the hood there. Yes. Like were you there from the beginning? They're only they're still a, a young church plant. Yeah. Were you there from the beginning? And how did you get connected in the hood? <laughs> so I, I met my brother, uh, Jose uh -huh. and Chris, and they were in the school of ministry at okay. Calvary Chapel. Right. So we were all doing school together, doing all the homework, and just like overwhelmed by what God was doing in our lives at that moment. And then Jose started getting this call to go back to pray for his hometown. Like he came from Watts is where the church is. And he got this strong feeling that God wanted to take him back there. So he went with a brother and they began praying over that area. And they began trying to see if God would have them do something there. And, uh, and I came along just at the tail end of that where they began to start uh, creating events, planning events to get into place. And so I, I came alongside of him, and I wanted to help him plant that church in a strong way, mm -hmm. um, in brotherly love and everything, just trying to get it set up to where it would function and just be passionate for the Lord. So um, one year, we just had our one-year anniversary last week. Oh, for real? Yeah. yeah. 
And so uh, the Lord just blessed us with many new faces and just seeing the testimonies that came out of that one year of just hard labor and uh, seeing God work in the hood is, mm. is just amazing. To see the lives that are changing, to see relationships that are being restored, to see discipleship homes coming into play. Mm. Um, the Lord gave us a building just across the street where we're planning to have a place where people can live for like a year and just learn about the Lord and just get invested, get away from the, the ties that they have in the world with the drugs and the alcohol and the relationships and where they could just sit there and get mentored by godly men and women, just being able to uh, separate themselves, invest, and then be able to reinvest into the community. Mm. So God's doing some amazing things. Amen. And we definitely want to give a, a shout out to Pastor Jose Hernandez. Yeah. Hope Central Watts. Much love for my Is it Watts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, during the course of that time when you kind of joined the team in planting there, did you always have overseas mission in your heart and mind, or did that kind of come later? In 2007, I moved to L.A. God had my heart. I didn't know him at all, and I was just pursuing the world, pursuing my career. He blessed me mightily in it. Like, I... I got jobs that I wouldn't have gotten without education, and it was just amazing to see how he was putting me into it. I didn't know it at the time, mm. um, but he was just blessing me along the way, and eventually I got to a point where I couldn't understand why I wasn't happy, and I couldn't understand why I'd achieved so much and I still wanted more, and then eventually my mindset, this, this idea to go to a different country was on my mind for a long time. And it's like, I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to go to all these vacation spots. I'm going to, like, do reviews on them and just, like, let people know how awesome it is and how cool my life is and everything. But when it came to pass, like two, two years later, after pursuing my career, pursuing everything that I was involved in, um, I got this call from God to go serve in South Africa. And I went not knowing what I was doing. Like, I had just barely joined a church and I was trying to figure out what that was and it just sounded like something fun to do. And from there, my heart just got wrecked for the, for the nations, God's heart for the nations. And so I began to see that my call was more into that. And from there, I started going out to Tanzania, India, Philippines, Singapore, like all these different places. God fulfilled my desire to go to the nations, but I wasn't going to these nice like five-star hotels, reviewing and everything. Mm -hmm. I was going to the slums where the people were. They didn't know where their meal was. They, they haven't eaten for weeks. Like, they were completely starved, deprived, and I wanted to share the word of God as well as just a testimony of God's favor on them, just blessing them, um, seeing what the Lord had in them. So God was using that desire from the very beginning. And did you find it hard to kind of be plugged in for that year in what's knowing that you had this, this passion to just go. <laughs> I, I kind of had to, to tone it down a little bit because it's like, if I'm gone so much, how can I fellowship and be gone and fellowship? And then it right. seems like something's breaking. So it's, it's very difficult to balance that. Mm. Uh, but when you channel it right, like when, when the Lord gives you a vision to do something in the community, you do it. Mm. You just do it out of faith. And then we took a, a team out to Las Vegas from Watts. The mm -hmm. crew from Watts went out to Las Vegas, the sin city of the states and probably the world. Just like we were on the strip sharing God's love. They were seeing uh, why I go out on missions, why I leave and why I go and all this stuff. So I think it rubs off like 
right. even though you're not there all the time, you still have opportunities to invest. Right. And did you see that time as helpful preparation toward where the Lord um, is leading? Oh, it, it couldn't have helped more. It really, not only did it give me a heart to go out even more, um, it gave me this idea that uh, I have a very strong community back home now that's praying for me, that's right. investing in me, even though I'm not there. Mm. So having that foundation is really key and just a place where you could call home. And, uh, and so just having that fellowship and that time together mm. really prepared me to send me out. You can add us to that community as well. Totally, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's a blessing. Cool. Now, um, in terms of where you're going to, um, I mean, at this stage, you've, you've packed up literally, you've left um, what was home to move on to fulfill what the Lord's called you to. Um, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you, bro? 24, just turned 24. All right. You know, so you can see why I asked that question, right? Okay. I know I'm getting kind of up there, so I'm sorry. It's not even that, bro. It's quite the, it's quite the opposite, actually. Because at your age, most people are like, quote, unquote, in the prime of their life, they, you know, enjoying independence, all kinds of aspirations and goals. Mm -hmm. And um, the last thing on most people, most 24-year-olds' minds is the call to missions, yeah. to leave your home, leave everyone that you know to be family, and to go and serve the Lord. Um, how has that felt for you, um, just taking that step? As the Bible puts it, there's a lot of chafe that falls away. There's a lot of desires that fall away. Uh, you know, I had, I had the stuff that I wanted. I had nice cars and everything. And it was just like, why would I leave this for something so much greater? And I think it's best said, I think it's in Matthew 13, where it talks about the man and the treasure. Mm. And where he sells everything he owns to go find the treasure. For so long, I thought that I had everything and I had to sell everything mm. to get that treasure. But until I realized that I was the treasure and that mm. Christ came and sold every, like he left his place in heaven to come for me, to, for that treasure, I was just blown away. The, the mindset of my life completely changed. No longer did I have any possessions. And Paul says, it's in, I'll talk about it later, like he counts it all lost. The idea that we're, we're completely um, sold out and we don't have anything of worth compared to the glory of Christ. Right. And um, where, you're, where you're going to, you've been before. Yeah. Um, what has that involved and um, well, how long were you there for initially and, and what did that involve you being there? Well, I took a sabbatical and I went out just seeing what God had to do and I spent maybe about a month or two in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And I was just going around, seeing the relationships, seeing the culture, the language. I wanted to invest and see what it was that God had me going out into. Mm -hmm. I wanted to see how I could get into these countries and what the restrictions were. And it was a lot of logistics, but there was an aspect of seeing how I can be a true minister of the new covenant mm -hmm. there. And my heart really uh, started seeing the art community. Like, a lot of art is coming up in the generations now. Like, I'm sure it's happening here. It's happening in the States. Did you say art? Art, yeah. Art community. Art. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, seeing art, like drawing, painting, singing, all the, all the uh, things that encompass art. <laughs> <laughs> are, are so... You got me there, bro. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. 
it's, it's amazing to see how much of an impact it can have. So I, I really have a heart for spoken word. And I want to, I, I dropped all my knowledge of spoken word so that I could just go there and see what it would look like to have spoken word, to have poetry, because they love to hear the Quran recited. So combining God's word and poetry with their desire would, would just be a huge impact. Mm. But seeing their family connections and how much they value names and just the people that they're with and they invest in each other mm. really ch changed my aspect of ministry to where I need to be like them in order to uh, invest in them. So as you went and you had that experience there and you saw the, the, the people and how they were living and so on, how did that um, maybe challenge the view of ministry to Muslims and the attitude towards Muslims um, that you were familiar with back home? Um, did, did you find that your, it was a different, you, you, know, you experienced something different to the point where it caused you to look at how to approach them differently compared to what you were used to hearing? I found that even when I live in the States, we have things like 9-11, just a lot of just issues with media portraying Muslims. And I found that I actually had some stuff deep down that some hostility towards Muslims. And I was struggling with that for a long time because I didn't know whether that was a conviction or whether that was just me being hateful towards them or whatever it was. And so in the States, there's a lot of media influence and I found that leaving that and going and seeing them firsthand really gave my heart over to them to where they're, they're exactly like us. They have desires, wants, needs. They have tears, the, the, the pain that goes on in their lives. It's real and we experience that. And that's why when, when he says we're afflicted, we're able to console those who are afflicted. Mm. So we have pains and anguishes, but we have hope as well, which mm. is what they're missing. Mm. So with the, the mindset of hope, it completely changed how I reach Muslims. I don't need to um, do anything except share the hope of Christ with them. And all the other stuff just comes along with it. All the doctrine, whatever it may be, mm -hmm. I just let that go on its own. But they need the hope of Christ. They need to understand what he did and why he did it. So. Right, right. Now, for a, for a lot of people, and that, that's also here in the UK, um, Islam can be seen as the enemy. Mm -hmm. It can be seen as the opposition. And people can take quite a combative type approach to ministering to Muslims. Um, in terms of how, the mechanics of how you minister hope, um, how might it be in contrast to that? Um, I think practically. Uh, we, were, we were having a uh, conversation last night. We were just sitting around a table talking. And I think it really fleshed out well to where we as evangelical Christians have a, a, this idea that we need to compartmentalize. We put everything in little boxes. Mm. And so we, we have ideas that Muslims are this, this, and this. And then when we talk to a Muslim, they don't fit anywhere in those categories. Their, their definitions, their ideas, their, their desires, everything is completely defined separate from our ideas. So as an instance, I was in the Middle East, and they would call me a Muslim. Was I okay with that? My, my definition of a Muslim was something different than what they had envisioned. So would I be okay with them calling me a Muslim? Or because by that definition, I am submitted to God, I am a believer in Jesus, 
and I, I follow Jesus even, and the doctrines of everything else don't really matter to them to be a Muslim. So, so am I a Muslim? So the definition of Muslim that you're working with in your mind is what? Submitted to God. Yes. Because that's what Muslim, the term mm -hmm. Muslim means, one who is submitted to God. It, it really de depends on who you're talking to. Because okay. if you're talking to a scholar, a Muslim scholar, mm -hmm. they're going to have a definition of submitted to uh, Muhammad and things like that. Right. So that might not work in that situation. But right. for most Muslims, they just see submitted to God. Right. So when I go to minister to Muslims, I don't bring those terms with me. Right. I just say what I believe in according to the Bible, and I let them put me in their category, right. whatever category that might be. Mm. So that, that kind of break down, breaks down so many barriers when you're working with Muslims. Mm. And so, now, we had a, a brother a few years back come called Sami Tanago, who's also from California. We, we, you and I spoke about him. And at the point when he shared with us, he really did um, emphasize the need to find common ground rather than the, the, the instinct to attack. And so to look for common ground, and he talked about Acts chapter 17, where we see Paul at Mars Hill, and he looks around and he sees all the idolatry that's going on there, and he sees this idol to the unknown God. And rather than turn around and saying to the people, oh, you guys are idolaters and God's going to cause you to burn in hell unless you repent, he actually said, look, I see you have a, 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 an idol here, an inscription to the unknown God. Let me show you who that is. Mm -hmm. And so he didn't, um, you know, abuse them or attack them because the reality is that we appreciate that people who are in sin sin because they're sinners. And whether that's somebody who is living a promiscuous lifestyle or a homosexual lifestyle or is in idolatry, apart from Christ, they're going to do what they're going to do. And so the need to reach out and find that common ground exists for all people, even those of other religions. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Now, um, in what other ways can you... So, you know, Sammy talked about, and he's got a book called God Loves You, My Muslim Friend. And in it, he talks about a way in which to use the Quran to be able to bring a, a Muslim um, to a place of openness and even revelation of who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you're familiar with and that, that you would practice yourself? Yes, I, I truly believe that uh, even Paul quoted poetry and, and things that were extra biblical mm -hmm. to get them into the Bible. Right. So if we think about the Quran, the Quran was delivered, like it was written based off skewed things of the Jews. So the Jews were trying to relay this information. There's a bunch of heresy. There's a bunch of information going through to Muhammad, and so he was just trying to document and trying to understand it all. Uh, there's truth in, in the lines of the Quran. And if you want, I could read a little passage from the Quran just to see a little bit of Jesus in it. That, that would be interesting, I'm sure, because I think for many people that there isn't an understanding that actually the Quran could be used to bring people to Christ. So this is uh, from Surah 3, 42. And, just, and I'd recommend you note this because I'm certain that in the cosmopolitan city that we live in, there's likely to be a, a point in time when you're going to come into a contact with a, a Muslim who's going to benefit from having their attention drawn to this from their own book. Mm -hmm. So this is from Surah 342. It's Al-Imran. 
And it's talking about, I'll just briefly go through it. It's talking about Jesus. The angels are talking to Miriam. They're saying, God gives you a word from him. His name will be the Messiah. We know the Messiah. We know the definition of Messiah. They just think it's a name. But this is actually Messiah, the Christ. This is the, the truth. So hold That's on, you're saying right that there. this is what the Quran is, is the Quran quoting. Says. The Messiah the is Messiah. Okay. And he says, he will be highly exalted in this world and the hereafter. It says, no man has ever touched me. Mary, Mary was a, a virgin in this, in this scripture that they have. Um, the, Jesus creates a, a, he gives life to a clay bird. He's a miracle worker. He gives life. He, uh, let's see. He's the only one who creates. He's the only one who heals. He, he's the only one who gives life to the dead. And he's the only one who tells the hidden things of God. In the, in the Quran, the only prophet that does these things. So, bro, this is this is in Surah three. Surah three forty two. Now, how do you go from there to helping the recipient of the Quran, the one who holds to the Quran, come to a greater understanding? Because, like you say, it, it will it will present Christ as a prophet. Um, how do you it just? I, I guess it's probably a huge question to yeah, ask. Yeah, it is. And we'll have to get you back to do a seminar <laughs> and. Would you guys be interested in that? Cool. Do a seminar and, you know, spend the day taking us through this stuff. But in, what kind of steps can you take from there? In, in this passage, it also says, He will teach them the book of wisdom, the Torah, the Injil. That's the New Testament. And uh, he's a messenger to the people of Israel. So we see that he's already referencing the Injil, the New Testament, the, the Torah, the Psalms and everything. And, the, and it talks about the... Um, like the Old Testament, the New Testament. And so now we have a starting point where they might not have ever heard that statement before, saying they, he's actually approving the Torah and the Injil and the Zabur, the Psalms. So we have a starting point where we can bring them to Scripture now and, and start to reveal a little bit more about what Jesus was actually saying. So they love hearing Jesus' words. That's a, a very important part because they, they just need the words they don't really understand why paul is at the authority of jesus and everything mm. so we use jesus's words his stories his parables and we tell the life of jesus and let him reveal himself to them hmm. how many of you guys were familiar with the fact that that was or weren't familiar with the fact that that's actually in the torah in that way in the torah in the quran in that way okay weren't you weren't familiar right Praise God. Now, um, how, in terms, you've had some opportunity to go to the Middle East, and um, you've had some degree of preparation. You're going to be um, joining a, a team when you go out there, and I won't say who they are, um, and for, for further preparation um, to the place where you're going immediately. So you leave on Tuesday from England to go there, and that's where you're going to be based. Um, how do you see um, that, that, that next immediate season of preparation um, before you go to your sort of ultimate destination, as it were? Uh, well, just as a little story, I was flying over here talking to some Orthodox Jews, and we were talking about Christ and everything, but they wouldn't read my book. I had the Bible out on, my, on the plane. They wouldn't read it because it was in English. 
and they only read the, straight from the Hebrew. And so when you think about that analogy, it, the same goes for the Muslims. They only want to hear you speak Arabic. So my next step is to go learn Arabic, uh, get fluent in Arabic, and then uh, learn how to witness as a true disciple in that context. So that's what this next year, two years looks like. And then I have to be able to witness with their own tongue, with their own scripture, back to the Word of God. So. So, um, now, um, as part of that process, obviously, you're going to be on mission whilst learning. Mm-hmm. Um, is, it, is it right that there's a certain degree of risk that accompanies that, even though it's uh, a more liberal environment? Yeah, we're, we're definitely being more active than most uh, workers out there, just in the fact that we're trying to already jump into ministry. We're not trying to learn the culture, learn everything, get it down perfect, and then go. So we're trying to make mistakes and just learn from them as we go. So uh, it will be difficult in the sense that we don't understand everything. There's such a deep culture code in the, in the Arab world, like hand signals, hand motions. Everything you do relays more information to them, and you don't even know you're doing it. Whether you accept two cups of tea, three cups of tea, that's very disgraceful in their culture. Um, how long you stay at their house, like all of whether you show the bottom of your feet, like there's so many different aspects that, that you don't realize when you're trying to witness to them, like don't eat pork, like that's an example. Like there's so many things that we miss and we're gonna make mistakes, but that's why we're out there. We're trying to learn that quicker so that we could be more effective quicker. Now, even at, in, on this next leg um, of, your, of your journey, um, in reality, just so we can all have an understanding of you know, what you're really facing, what's the worst that can happen to you? I would say death, but I, I really see death as going to, to see God, so I don't know if that's the worst that could happen to me. Um, that's probably the best thing, but... Uh, but that, that, that is something that could happen. It is happen. something that could happen. When there is imprisonment. There is, mm. you know, you could say torture. You could say uh, radicals getting a hold of you. There's things that can happen. And, right. Uh, so. so even in, you know, recently, in recent days, we've been hearing on the news that there's been this film and there's been a real sort of backlash against U.S. people. There was the U.S. ambassador that was killed, I think it was in Libya. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was in response to this film and the way they portrayed Islam. Um, And it seemed fairly indiscriminate in terms of the way that they targeted US people. Um, With that in mind, um, how does that cause you to feel as you're um, heading into that region? It really doesn't affect me that much to see them retaliating that way against the US. It it goes much deeper than that video. The Mm. video was just the camel's back, it broke it. it. it was so much deeper rooted in pain and hatred and just years upon years upon centuries of just pure hatred for one another. So that video is just uh, a validator for the actions. Right. It's, just a, it's, a, it's a catalyst. It's a, it's... Yeah. So that, that already exists over there. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of uh, difficulty as being over there as an American or whatever it may be. Mm. Um, but there is a sense of peace, knowing that God is there with you, 
And so having, knowing where you're going when you die, having that security in Christ, it really doesn't make you feel any less insecure. It makes you fearful for the people that don't know Christ, that are dying every day, just not knowing and not understanding this hope that we're able to go into that situation without fear. And what encourages you about where you're going in terms of the prospects? Um, what's, what signs are there of God already working in that region that encourages you to know that, you know what, it, this is... Yeah. At, at the end of Joel 2, it talks about signs and wonders being poured out, and, and then it, you have... Uh, and Habakkuk, he says that I'm doing a work that even if you were told, I, you wouldn't even believe. So these are the things that are ringing in my ears when I'm over there. And I, I can testify to this that every, almost half the Muslims that I talk to that are evangelical Christians now were visited by a man in a dream. Like we're talking about dreams, visions, and everything. A man in white cloth, clothing, white light, emitting, showing peace, showing love. It, it even got to the point where they put billboards on buses saying, have you seen this man? And it's this, this figure of Jesus. Call this number. Learn more about him. Like it's, it's that prominent over there. Seeing the spiritual uh, phenomenons that, that people would call it. I call it miracles, God's grace upon us. And uh, seeing that happen in, in that world just gives a whole fresh outlook to your faith. So what you're saying is that these people, they're their journey to faith in Jesus was either provoked or, or, or started with them having a dream or a vision of Jesus. And this has become so commonplace that they will even put, take the description that people have given, put it on a, on a poster and say, ring this number if you've seen this man. Yes. Where does that number go? It goes to the States. Spotlight to Straight heaven. Straight to Jesus, yeah. <laughs> Give me the number, brother. Yeah. So, so it goes to it goes to the states for security reasons. So no one would be able to trace someone in that country and do stuff with them, and just um, so it goes to the states for security, and then they're able to disciple them, try and get them plugged in to communities over there uh, cautiously, knowing that there are there are just false people calling up that number, trying to figure out how mm. to stop it. Mm. Mm. Amen. Um, so maybe if I can ask you, I know that you just have a, a word of encouragement to share with us. Um, and so if I could ask you to prepare to do that. Yeah, sure. Um, and as you do that, I will just let people know that um, information, we'll give information on the screen at the end of how you can keep in touch and get his prayer updates and also that you can, um, you know, find out how to support and so on. Um, and so, again, we won't give that information out, but um, we'll put that on the screen um, for you. So if you want to okay. grab your stand, breath. There's just so much in this book. It's hard to, like, filter it down and figure out what, what it is you want to say. Uh, one of the first things that hit me when I walked in here was that sign back there. I don't know if you guys noticed that. Come Holy Spirit. That's beautiful. I mean, that's, that's the way to start off a sermon. So I just want to invite the Lord to come and uh, witness to us, <clears throat> minister to us. So Father, we come before you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this place and just be able to glorify you in everything that we do. 
I ask that you would speak to the congregation today, to the people of God, your chosen people, and that you would just give them rest and peace and just give them a passion for the lost and maybe even for the Muslim world. I ask that this would just speak to their heart, that you would use me in a mighty way and that you would just be present in our speech and in our thoughts each and every day. Father, we thank you. Amen. So if you guys have your Bibles, just check out Luke chapter 9. Um, I was really reading through this. This is a passage that has really affected me. And I apologize because in, in America we talk fast. I don't know how fast you guys talk here. So um, just one of the things as you guys are getting it out, this is Luke talking about, he's, he's writing to Gentile uh, people who are trying to understand who Jesus is. He's a physician, so he's writing from a perspective of miracles, and he's, a, he's astounded by the, the healing grace of God. And so when we, when we read this, we have to understand that he's writing it from a physician's standpoint and that he's writing it out of order. It's not chronological. He's writing it as groups of ideas. So there's this right here in Luke chapter 9, the whole thing is an actual uh, an idea, a concept that he's trying to deliver to Theophilus. So if we just start off, just I'm just going to do a brief overview of what's actually happening here in Luke chapter 9. And it's basically an entire section on the commission of the disciples and what goes on and what Jesus is trying to tell them and everything. And Luke writes it in a way that really works for us as missionaries of the, and ministers of the New Covenant here in London, whether you're a missionary here or abroad or wherever you may be. So as you're listening to this, just think about how this applies to your life and we'll go into it deeper. But in Luke chapter 9, uh, Jesus brings about the joy of following God. He's commissioning his disciples to go out into the world. And he starts off in verse 1 by giving him, them all authority over demons and to cure diseases. There is a twofold ministry there. There is a fold, uh, the first one is to go out and proclaim the kingdom of God and to go out and have all authority over demons. And then the other was to provide healing for the people. There is a physical and a spiritual aspect to it. And then Jesus gives them power in verse 1. And then he, uh, uh, Herod is interested in this Jesus, trying to figure out who he was. And then Jesus goes and he feeds 5,000 people miraculously. And he goes with the disciples and they don't think they have enough food. And so he provides the food for them and he just multiplies the fish and the loaves. Maybe you're familiar with that story. And then he goes on to... Peter confesses him as the Christ, the true identity of Christ. But then Jesus goes right back and says that he foretells his death. He's saying, I have to be delivered to men to be killed. So this, this contrast that Luke is trying to give us is very key in our ministry. We have to understand that God will uh, give us truths about himself. He, he says that we should know that he is the Christ. And then he says, well, I have to go to be crucified. And then he says, but you have to follow me in the next, in chapter, verse 23. He says, but you have to follow me. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. So he's saying, you know I'm the Christ and that I have to go be delivered to death, but you have to follow me, so therefore you're participating. You're part of this death that I have to experience. And then if we go on, in verse 28, Jesus brings the three, three of his disciple, disciples up to, the, to this mount to be transfigured. He gets clothed in his true robe of glory, his 
his light and his true Shekinah glory. So this is his revealing to the, of glory to the disciples. And then he goes on and he casts out demons and then the, the disciples get in an argument, hope for who's the greatest. Like there's so much happening here. But now let's go through and just look at what are the disciples doing? What is there about following Jesus that made it so appealing? So in verse 1, they had authority. They had authority over demons and to cure diseases. In verse 3, Jesus says, Take nothing, take no water, take no, no staff, no cloak. Take one tunic, because I want you to be clothed, but take one so you don't have a change of clothes. Like, I'm going to provide everything for you. Jesus will provide everything. Pastor Chuck Smith says that where God guides, he provides. Like, this is a truth in the Bible, that Jesus tells us to bring nothing, bring nothing of our mindset, just go seeing and being expectant of seeing God work. And then in, in verse 29, he gets transfigured, and it says that he was praying as the appearance of his face was altered, and then clothing became dazzling white. Jesus revealed his glory to the disciples. He said that you have authority over demons. You have the authority to heal. You have the authority to proclaim the kingdom of God. And now he says um, that he will provide, and now he will reveal his glory to you to reassure your faith, to show you how great it is to follow him. These are the joys of being a disciple, the joy. And then it goes on. Jesus rebukes a spirit that the disciples couldn't rebuke. This is in verse 41. The disciples were trying to rebuke this, this boy that had a demon in it, and uh, he couldn't get it out, and they couldn't understand why. So the, the man in the crowd brought his boy to Jesus, and he said, why can't they do it? And Jesus pointed out that they have a lack of faith. So he, he cast out the demon. He, he corrected. He was able to still work God's will in that moment, so God will correct all of our uh, mistakes, all of our un- misunderstandings and everything. This is, this is the joy of following Christ. We don't have to worry about our mistakes anymore. We're going to make mistakes as missionaries to here in London, South London, or whether it's abroad. We're going to make mistakes, but we still have the joy of following the Lord. Let those words sink into your ears in verse 44. God knows the future. He says, I have to be delivered for death. But he knows the future. He already knows what's going to happen. So you have, not only do you have a guy who's willing to tell you the future about what's going to happen to you, what's going to be your final destination, but he's also providing everything for you. He's empowering you with the authority of Scripture. Acts 1 says that he, all uh, power will come upon you when, you when you receive the Holy Spirit. So this is the actual movement of the Holy Spirit in us, equipping us, sending us, Uh, fixing us, like completely molding us to the image of Christ. This is Christ talking. But one of the things that I've encountered is there's, I mean, just a show of hands, do any of you guys like have fear about following God? I know you have, all of us have fear, so you might as well just raise your hand. I should have just asked to raise your hand. Because following God is fearful. We can't see Him. We're trying to, to trust in His faith, in our faith in Him. But we're having a tough time understanding that He is still with us, Emmanuel. Like, we're trying to get this idea into our heads. But I could see you guys. You guys are here. You guys are physically tangible. But God is somewhere that we don't really know, but we have this faith that He's there because of what He's done in our lives. So... 
The fear of following God follows the joy of following God. So you have the joy and the fear, hand in hand. And this is one chapter in the Bible. Let's just look at Luke chapter 9, and this one chapter. I want you guys to see how many times the disciples messed up. Like, just, just as, a, as an example, in verse 12, um, they, this is where the loaves were. It says, the, the disciples said, send the crowds away. We don't, we don't have enough food for them. We can't provide, we only have a few loaves, a few fish. So how are we supposed to provide for all these people without some supernatural help? But they weren't thinking that. So God, in a sense, rebukes them, but in a loving way and provides for the 5,000 people. This is God's showing of mercy and, and overcomes the fear, the, the inability to provide for yourself because he said that he would provide. In verse 33, it says, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make tents for you, Moses, and Elijah. He's saying, man, all three of you appeared in glory, and then they accidentally elevated Elijah and Moses to that place of Jesus. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The cloud came and they disappeared, and God said, this is my son, who I am well pleased. Like, listen to him. So God will... Like correct. I mean, they made a mistake of elevating men to be to that place of Jesus, but now God shows him that uh, it's not. Jesus is elevated. Jesus is his son. Listen to him. So they made another mistake. And then in verse 40, there's a man in the crowd. Remember I was mentioning that he couldn't, the disciples couldn't cast out the demon because they didn't have enough faith. That was another mistake. They didn't have enough faith. They didn't understand who Christ was in their moment. And then an argument in verse 46, they were, they were debating over who would be the greatest disciple. Can you imagine like James and John and Peter? Peter saying, hey, I'm the rock of the church. Christ is going to build the, the church on me. Like, this is going to be amazing. And then John's, oh, I'm the beloved disciple. Like, this is, this is some issues that they were encountering and they didn't know what to do. So they were arguing who was the greatest. And Jesus brings a kid over he says, this is the, the least of you will be the greatest. He just totally flips their world upside down. Jesus is seeing the mistakes, but he's loving them, disciple them, fixing them, showing them the true path. <clears throat> In verse 49, the demon, uh, someone was casting out a demon, and they weren't following with the disciples, so they were like, what about this guy? Should we take care of this guy? What is he doing? Is he for us, against us? I don't understand. They didn't understand that he's casting out in the same name of Christ. He's not for them. He's not against them. He's for them. He's just not walking with them. So it's just different, different aspects of ministry. They made another mistake. And then there's another big one in verse 54. It says, Lord, Lord, let us cast fire down on these people. It's like, come on, guys. <laughs> That was, that was Old Testament. Like, I am here not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Jesus is constantly showing us that he is faithful. In Deuteronomy 7, 9, it talks about knowing, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. This is so crucial because the disciples the whole way were forgetting that. They were forgetting that he's faithful. They were forgetting that he's the God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. Steadfast meaning never-ending, never 
swaying with your decisions, never stopping. I mean, he was going through each situation with them, each one of their failures, and showing them the correct way to go about it. Now, what is the cost? I mean, there's 31,000 chapters in the Bible, and we just went through a few examples in one chapter. If you go through Old Testament, New Testament, Genesis, Revelation, you're going to see so many failures on man's half. Like, we have not done our part. We've, we've fallen from the very beginning of time. And so, as missionaries, God's not expecting perfection. God's not expecting us to have it all figured out. He's expecting us to remember Deuteronomy 7-9, where He is the faithful God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. So as we go out as missionaries, South London, North London, East London, America, they need it too, like everywhere. We have to understand that Christ is working through us in our iniquities, in our uh, trials and struggles and pains and everything to bring about His glory. But what is the cost of following God? There's a very impactful piece right here, and it's in verse 57 onward, and it talks about people that he was bringing alongside his disciples and he talks about you know I have to go bury my I have to go bury my father what he's saying there is I have to go wait for my father to die to get his inheritance then I'll be able to follow you like that's not what Christ wanted he wanted immediately for him to follow him so what is the cost of following Christ it may be denying yourself picking up your cross and following him denying the things that you you desire most, maybe just for a moment. Maybe it's, it's you're, you're desiring your education. Maybe you're desiring your work or your car or your, your spouse or whatever it may be, your girlfriend, and you're desiring them over Christ. And that's where it gets dangerous. It becomes an idol in your life. And now he has to correct that. He has to make it understandable that you have to put Christ first. Christ transfigured himself he, he went up on the mountain and showed his true glory to his disciples so that they wouldn't be able to deny him anymore. And yet Peter still does it. Like, does that make sense to you? He saw him transfigured, fullness of glory revealed to him, and yet he still denied him three times. So we as missionaries will have to expect that we have to rely on the faithfulness of God, not on the faithfulness of man, not on our own strength as we go forward. The cost we have to deny ourselves. In verse 23, it says, if anyone would follow me, you have to deny yourself and follow me. Sorry. If anyone would come after me, sorry. In Ephesians, it has this idea, in Ephesians uh, 4.22, it has this idea of taking off the old self and putting on the new self. You have to take off all the, the things that you've done in your life, all the things, all the struggles, all the trials, all the persecution, and maybe you had sex with someone outside of wedlock, or whatever it may be, you put that away, and you let Christ deal with that, and you put on the new self that he has given you. You don't put it off and then just sit there, wait for something to happen. You have to put on the new clothing, the new spirit, the new mind that he has given you. And then from there, he can use you and mold you and shape you into the man that, or woman that he wants you to be. In Galatians 2.20, this is actually my life verse, that we are crucified with Christ, we, we die with Christ, we deny ourselves, die with Christ, and then um, it's no longer us that live, but Christ who lives in us, and the life we live now in the flesh. We have faith, the faithful God, Deuteronomy, faithful God. We have faith 
in the Son of Man who loved us and gave himself for us. Like that is such a crucial verse that he loves us, he gave himself for us, we are crucified with him so that we may live with him. So now, is it worth it? Now, when I was a missionary in training, like I was just starting off going to South Africa, as I mentioned earlier, I was trying to understand what it meant to be a follower of Christ. And I was faced with this situation that really struck me as, as impossible. I didn't know what it was to follow Christ at that time. And I had to, to get this idea. Think about this quote from Piper. He says that we, a God is most glorified when we are most satisfied with him. When we become satisfied with what God has done in our lives, when we see what the change he has brought in the relationships with our spouse, with our family, with our brother, sister, when we are satisfied with that, God is glorified. We see all the changes in our lives. People see that in us and how happy we are and how joyful we are about that. That's glorifying God. So my friend is actually writing a book. It's, it's a phenomenal idea. I don't know how many of you guys, if comics are big out here, are they pretty big? So comics, you have comics and superheroes and all of that stuff. She's writing a book, um, and the premise, the idea behind it is that what if, I don't want to butcher it, what would you do if you were never told what you couldn't do? What if you were never told that you couldn't walk on water? What if you were never told that you couldn't move mountains? What, were you, what if you were never told that you were a sinner? What if you were never told that, that there was something blocking you from achieving God's purpose? And the, think about that. Like Peter was going out, walking on the water, and then he remembered that he couldn't walk on water. <laughs> like he had to be in a boat for that. Like there's no way that he can actually walk on water. And then he started to, the, the flesh kicked in. But what if he had never been told that he couldn't walk on water? Like, what would that look like in our lives if we had that kind of faith where we didn't need to be told what we couldn't do? That gets crazy, I know. I'm try trying to say it. It's like really backwards. But so you'll be faced with this question. If you believe this is true, then what? If you believe this is true, what would it look like in your schools? What kind of impact can you have in your family's life? What kind of impact can you have with your spouse? If you believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins, rose again, then what? Would it look like to raise your kids in a, in a home that also glorifies that, the fact that he died for you? Like, this is something that you would have to face. And when you think about Paul, he says in uh, Philippians 3.8, What is more, I consider everything as lost. Considering, uh, compared to the surpassing glory and greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for what sake I have lost all things and consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. He has lost everything in, in his life. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I mean, Galatians 1 really describes him well in his testimony about how good he was in upholding the law. And he counts that rubbish for knowing Christ. So in our own lives, maybe it's tangible. Maybe it's like I had been called to drop everything and just sell it all and just kind of figure it out and go see what God has. Maybe that's not you. Maybe it's a little more different. Maybe you have to, you've been like struggling on whether you, you need to go one direction for school or career or, or to pursue a relationship or whatever it may be. 
think about what it would be like to lose all things and then find yourself in Christ and live out that life. So just remember this question. I mean, Luke 9 is perfect. Just remember Luke 9 and ask this question after you've read it this week. If you believe that this is true, that's what he was doing, revealing himself to his disciples, transfiguring himself, casting out demons, providing for the people of 5,000. If you believe that is true, then what? Father, we thank you so much for this time, and we thank you for your word and how, how blessed it is to be studying it and to understand that you are with us. You are the faithful God. Father, I pray that you would just give us an anointing of your spirit and you would just send us out in passion and boldness and love and tenderness, that you would give us a spirit not of fear but of power and self-control, a sound mind, that you would give us an ability to see the lost and to bring them into your flock, Lord. Would you please just give us the, um, your, your Holy Spirit to work miracles and to, to show the healing of the people and to provide for them in a tangible way that they may see your glory in a real and spiritual way, Lord. Father, we ask that you would just come and, and as we go, that you would just go with us and before us and behind us and through us, Lord. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brett. Um, now, in James, basically, it says, James 1's actions speak louder than words. Um, I, that's a paraphrase of be doers of the word and not hearers only. And evidently, that's a question that you've considered. If I really believe this, now what? Um, what difference does it make? And I'm sure that every single person here is as challenged as I am in relation to the response that we see that you've made. Um, so many things come to mind, but firstly, how can we pray for you and um, support you in your future endeavors? Uh, well, one of the things Muslims absolutely love is names. Names mean so much to them, and unfortunately, I am very bad at names. And that is a, one very tangible prayer request that I could have, just that I remember the names, they're very difficult. And uh, I need to know the names. I need to be able to pick up the language fast so I can start sharing the love of Christ with them. Um, I really want to be a pure spiritual leader for them, to, for them to see. Uh, like one thing that's very prominent is to have uh, maid servants in your home that are also uh, sexual aides. And so that's expected in the Muslim world. In, not in all areas, but it's very prominent that you would pay a maidservant to do that. And so part of our ministry is to have maids, maybe, but to show them the love of Christ, not allowing them to, to go to that level. And then all of a sudden their mindset changes, like these people are different. So pure spiritual leadership is what I'm looking for. And um, I'm going to ask Joel if you can put up the contact information. Um, so by means of this contact information, people will be able to um, stay in touch with you. Yes. And if you have a look at that, is there anything up there that ought not to be? No, that's good. That's all good, yeah? Yeah. So, um, so the blog is password protected? Yes, it is. Okay, okay, that makes sense. All right, so um, I'm not going to read it out, but please do make note of it. Um, and do... 
continue to stay in touch by way of encouragement um, with our brother JR. And I know there's been probably one or two times where I've made reference to his name during this, but Shabazz is a good editor. So, um, and likewise, if you um, want to, to, to sign up for his prayer newsletter, make sure you, you do so. Um, and, bruv, in terms of practical support, I mean, you're going out there as a, as a missionary. Would you benefit from financial support if somebody wanted to commit to support you in that way and so on? Yes. yes. Is that something that would... If, if the Lord is prompting that, I, I totally invite that. There's going to be a lot more uh, outreaches and going, things going on out there. Um, I could share more about the organization I'm going with uh, a little bit later. Mm. Um, but financial means, I, I appreciate every bit. But I've found that prayer is the most effective in the, in the Muslim, anywhere, basically. Mm. Is prayer is, is essential in that aspect. Uh, but financial support is a very tangible and needed aspect to it as well. I'm going to ask um, the elders them to come up and if we can just pray for our brother. Um, as I mentioned, he leaves on Tuesday for his destination. And um, thank the Lord, um, EasyJet connects. <laughs> and un unexpectedly. Um, and so in terms of him being able to come back and um, actually share with us in more depth and even kind of walk us through how we can learn to effectively minister to Muslims within our own context, um, then, you know, that will be a blessing. So um, we'll be communicating with him to arrange that. And so, um, yeah, let's pray. Let's pray for a brother. Father, we do come before you in just humility, Lord. We recognize that Jesus is Lord, and we see that so clearly through our brother JR's life and his response to the, to the truth of the gospel. We thank you for him, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the way in which you were evidently working in his life even before he came to a complete revelation and submission to who you are. And you were cultivating in him desires that you would fulfill through Christ and in Christ. Our prayer is that, Lord, you would use him greatly as he goes, Lord. That you would protect him, that you'd preserve him, that you would prepare him even more fully. We do pray that he would learn the language both in written form and verbal form, Lord. Lord, we do pray that he would be able to communicate well, Lord. We pray that you'd give him intuitive understanding of cultural custom, Lord. We pray that you would properly fashion and, and fit him, Lord, to be used in that context. We pray that you would raise him up as a pure spiritual leader that you would harden him to temptation, Lord. Enabling him to, to minister Christ in word and deed. And so, Lord, we commit him to you. 
And um, pray that our hearts would continually be encouraged by the testimony of how you're using him. And that, Lord, we too would also be able to be an encouragement to him. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we've read the end of the story and we win. We thank you, Lord, that our brother is a victor, more than a conqueror, through Christ. We bless your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you. And so, um, I'm going to ask the team maybe if we can just... No? Okay. Um, let's stand. And there's a tangible sense of the reality of a life surrendered and submitted to God. Luke 9 is given to all believers. In our brother's life, it's resulted in him responding to the call to go overseas. But we are all missionaries as Christians. We are all called to be on mission, even in our own context. That call to deny ourselves, to take up our cross. A brother said that Jesus was going to death and he was saying that you need to walk with me on this journey to death in order that we might live. And so as I close in prayer, maybe we can just take a moment to reflect on how our lives demonstrate the response, true response, an active response, a living response to the gospel and the call to discipleship. Because that's the basic call. It's not like you have Christians and then you have disciples. We're all called to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus. Let's just take a moment before I pray. Lord, some of us right now need to make a resolution in our hearts to truly deny ourselves. We are by nature selfish, self-centered, proud. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, for wanting to enjoy the benefits of salvation and yet not put you first. Forgive us for not truly realizing and understanding that we are saved and it's not of ourselves. You didn't owe anyone salvation and yet you graced it as a gift to those who would believe on your son. Forgive us, Lord, for taking that for granted. Forgive us, Lord, for withholding on you, to withholding our lives from you. Forgive us, Lord, for not dying to ourselves, Lord, in our day-to-day -day dealings. Forgive us, Lord, for our unwillingness to be identified with you publicly even. 
choosing rather to hide, to hide behind silence. Forgive us, Lord. Lord, we're so encouraged by the fact that you are such a forgiving and gracious God. Even as we've seen the example of the disciples who walked with Jesus, literally, physically, flopping multiple times. And yet you still committed to work through them. We're encouraged, Lord, that you're still committed to work through us. Have your way in our lives, Lord. Jesus' name, amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.